in the book of Galatians this morning, Galatians chapter 5, began a message last week I called Learning to Walk Again, and uh, we're going to see the second part of this today, a message I called The Enemy Within, Galatians 5, 16, this I say then, walk in the spirit, there's the walking again part, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. Our message this morning is going to be built around the truth of these two statements and the tension that they describe in the life of every person who is a believer in Christ. If you are a believer in Christ, you are right now living in the midst of these two statements, maybe more toward the walking in the Spirit part, uh, maybe more toward uh, the other part that is mentioned in this passage. But you are certainly living in the tension of these two passages. I'm going to look at a number of scriptures this morning, uh, many of which that I'm just going to read and make a brief comment from. Uh, But you can jot down these references as you go along. You may want to go back and look at them again because they say so much to the life that you and I live as believers in Christ. Earlier in the chapter, we saw how that the Galatian believers were walking, how they were running, how they were making good progress in their faith, but they were stopped. They were hindered. And uh, this was something that came about because of the false teachers. But uh, as they were walking and making progress, they were living out their faith. And that's what is so often spoken of in Scripture when the word walking is used. It's used to describe where our beliefs meet our everyday life. It's one thing to believe these things, but how do we live? How do we live in the light of what we believe? And that was a very important thing for the Jews because every aspect of their life was governed by some part of the law. But down to the very things they could eat, the things they could wear, the places they could go. I mean, everything then was regulated by the law of Moses. And so now the big question is, if the, if the law has been fulfilled, then how are we supposed to live out the life that God wants us to live? If the law could not give us victory, and if the law did not give people victory, and it didn't, then what is going to give us victory as believers in Christ? And the answer is presented very, very carefully in this text We are given victory as we walk in the Spirit. The mighty Spirit of God living in you and living in me is the only means by which we can ever experience the victory that God intends for us to live. But there will always be a temptation for us to return to the power of the flesh. And that was the deeper issue. Because as they went back to the law of Moses and tried to implement those principles, they were leaving behind the blessing and the power of the Spirit. So all they were going to get was the flesh. And when you begin to try to live in the flesh and work in the flesh and serve in the flesh and do all the other things in the flesh, then you get all the other things that the flesh can do. I'm going to give you a news flash this morning. Your flesh is no better than it ever was. It isn't like your flesh was once lost and now it's been saved. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible tells us that once we were spiritually dead. 
That is, we were isolated, alienated from the life of God and, and spiritual things did not make sense to us. We didn't have any understanding for them. We didn't have any appetite for them. Once we were dead to the things of God spiritually. But where once we were spiritually dead, now we've been born again. And now, you see, we are spiritually alive, but the flesh is still the same. It is not capable of producing righteousness. It never was. And we need to take a long look at what the Bible tells us the flesh is doing and what the flesh is capable of doing. He goes right on into it in Galatians chapter 5, but that's far from the only passage. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest. <laughs> this is what the flesh does. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Romans 1, another list. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. <laughs> not done yet. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 20. For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I would, and that I shall be found unto you such as you would not, lest there be, be debates, envyings, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults, and lest when I come again my God will humble me among you. And that I shall bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. Wow. That's a long list. If we turn to what the flesh can do, then we will get some of the things the flesh does. Maybe not all of them, but some. Many have pointed out there are three major categories of the works of the flesh. There are the sensual sins, and that are the things that we sin against ourselves. that is our own body. We sin against our own body. There are the spiritual sins. Those are sins where we sin against God. And then there are the social sins. Those are the sins where we sin against other people. I'm not going to preach a lot about that today. I'm not going to be like some of the preachers in the world today say, we don't preach about sin here. Folks, we preach about sin here. <laughs> and uh, why? Because the Bible warns us about it a whole lot. Uh, but uh, I know that when it comes to the list and these long lists going on and on and on of the works of the flesh, and the fact is we know them all too well. It doesn't require a lot of teaching or a lot of explanation. We know what they are. We never get victory really by studying sin. But we do need to understand this problem. You see, our text begins with that marvelous statement, Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then the very next passage said, The flesh lusts against the Spirit 
and the spirit against the flesh so that you cannot, cannot do the things that you would. Which one of those statements is true? Both of them. Both of them are true. If you find yourself then battling the flesh and you're walking in the spirit, you seem like one day, and then you turn around and, and, and you're battling the flesh, that doesn't mean you are not saved. It means that you are saved. A lost person might occasionally have a twinge of conscience, but uh, they have a, a, a whole host of ways to excuse that away and, and get away from that. They don't carry on the kind of battle that Paul is describing in this passage. We know what it's like to be walking well and suddenly we have fallen. We were walking in the Spirit, but then it's just another step or two and we're walking in the flesh. We know what that's like. We know that battle. And we need to learn one thing and learn it well. The temptation to go back and try to live the life God wants us to live by the power of the flesh with the result then that it unleashes the things that the flesh can do is a never-ending struggle on this side of eternity. You're always going to fight this battle. It's never going to go away. I read a story. It was set in the late 1800s with the famous Charles Spurgeon and the preacher school that he had. He would have his students to come in and preach and one of them was exceptionally gifted. He preached on the armor of God and he described with great eloquence every single piece of the armor. He was so gifted with his discussion of the armor of God that you could almost hear the buckles as they were cinched in place and the sword as it entered its sheath. After he had waxed so eloquent and so powerfully about the armor of God, he reached the end, the conclusion of his message, and he said, where is the enemy? And he said it again, where is the enemy? And he paused for effect. And Charles Spurgeon said, it's inside the armor. It's inside the armor. See, the, the Bible warns about the enemy that is above us. That is, the angels, the principalities, the spiritual wickedness in, in high places or heavenly places. Yes, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against these uh, spiritual, powerful spiritual forces that are above us. We know also that we wrestle uh, against the enemy that is around us, and that is the world, the culture, uh, the influence of the world system that is forever setting its course against the things of God. Uh, we know about the enemy that's above us. We know about the enemy that's around us. But the primary enemy, the one that we fight the most, is the one that is inside of us. You see, those of us who preach can preach in the flesh. Those who sing can sing in the flesh. When you pray, you can pray in the flesh. If that weren't true, why would James have had to warn us about praying amiss? You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. Why? So that you may consume it upon your own lust. You can pray in the flesh. When you study the Bible, you can study the Bible in the flesh. Perhaps easiest of all, when we worship, we can worship in the flesh. 
But you might object, well, wait a minute. You know, Jesus said that when we worship, true worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So if I'm worshiping the flesh, I'm really not worshiping at all. Uh, exactly. Exactly. And the problem is, is that we struggle sometimes to really know the difference. We think we know the difference, but we don't always. I can tell you one thing, though. <laughs> yeah, you can go off and preach a revival and preach a revival in the flesh. Uh, some years ago, I, 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 years ago, I used to preach a whole lot of revival meetings and and uh, for those of you who may not know, a revival meeting is when uh, a church hosts a series of meetings. They usually start on Sunday these days and go through Wednesday or Friday. Used to have two weeks and, and then a week and then three days and revival meeting, we call it. I, I was preaching a revival at a church and I'm going to tell you something that the first night I was there, I could tell that something was terribly wrong. And I, I learned then as time went on that the church was deeply divided and they were really, really struggling as I tried my best to preach, I, I, I felt such a quenching of the Spirit. It was so hard. But back in those days, I fancied myself a pretty good preacher. And so I just decided, you know, I'll, <laughs> I'll just go ahead and put on Richard Hamlin's show. And I did. I did. Let me tell you, it could be pretty impressive. I, 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 not bragging, just telling the truth. Uh, I invited a, a preacher friend of mine who lived in, the, in that town. I said, hey, I'm preaching revival over here. I'd love to have you come. And... And he first said he wouldn't, but then he said, yeah, I think I will. And he came. And I told him, man, I need an amen. Or I, I did. I needed somebody, Dave. I was calling in reinforcements. But I noticed as I was preaching, he didn't amen me much. Didn't have much to say after the service. And called me the next day and said, hey, I want to take you out to lunch. And he did. And what he told me hey, it hurt my feelings pretty bad. And he said, you know, this church doesn't need to be impressed with how good a preacher you are. They need, they need the power of the Spirit of God. I wish I could tell you I went in and, and, and prayed and, and, and got right with the Lord and a great revival broke out and it changed everything. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. I, I did my best. I tried to work hard. I wasn't trying to be so impressive anymore. I prayed, but I'm telling you, things were in a mess and it wasn't long after that that church split and it was a bad thing. But I did learn a lesson. All, all is in vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. I can preach in the power of the flesh. I can. You can sing. You can teach. You can do whatever you're doing in the power of the flesh. Don't think that the flesh can't do religious things. It can. The flesh likes things that make it feel good and looks good. And, and the flesh is always going to be very selfish in its approach because it is, after all, all about me. The flesh likes praise and, and satisfaction that comes from doing good. The flesh can produce a Christian veneer. But when the flesh is allowed to operate, it unleashes the power of what the flesh can do. Long ago, Vance Habner proposed that the Holy Spirit could be so grieved as to absolutely shut down his work in a church and nothing about the church would change and few people would notice the difference. That Vance Habner was a tough old preacher, I'm going to tell you. I don't know if he was right or not. But he suggested there was so little going on in churches that is really operating in the power of the Spirit that we've lost our ability to recognize such a thing. I don't know. But I do know we can do everything that we do in the power of the flesh. 
can. By we, I'm talking about what we do in church. If that weren't the case, then you wouldn't see people who were lost. Maybe they'd made a profession of faith as a child. Maybe they've lived for 20 or 30 years. They've taught classes, and some of you have this testament, taught classes, gone. You did all of that in the power of the flesh. You see, the flesh can do religious things. It can put on a, a religious show. It can. It can. But when we turn to the flesh, then we get what the flesh does. Now, Paul, what Paul mentions, only mentions in Galatians chapter 5, he gave a lengthy discussion to in Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read most of this to you. Not going to have time to comment on it much. Romans 8, 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He goes on then and talks about the condition of lost people, people who do not know God at all. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it's not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But... Verse 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not his. I've got good news for you today. If you are saved, the Spirit of God dwells in you. And because the Spirit of God dwells in you, the Bible says you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. And if Christ, verse 10, is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead also will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Remember the guy who wrote this was a Jewish rabbi. And by the way, he was a lost Jewish Rabbi, he'd been raised all of his life to observe the law. He lived according to the principles of the law of Moses. He taught people to do it. He had a great zeal for the law of Moses. And for a while he thought that he had a zeal for the truth. When in fact what he really had was the hatred and murderous rage of the flesh unleashed. He thought he was serving God. When he persecuted Christians and hounded them and hunted them and put them in jail and, and uh, deprived them of their liberty and their property and even their life. He thought he was doing God's work. There's nothing in the world but the flesh unleashed. Paul knew well then what you get when you turn back to the flesh and try to walk in the flesh. You get what the flesh does. But then you can walk in the Spirit. Verse 13. 
If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I know it's been a long time since we've been able to have a fellowship or a potluck meeting, any kind. I, I look forward, hopefully this summer we'll be able to have some more. I'm ready. I've told you that before. I'm not going to go on that again. Uh, I, you can look at me and tell I love a good potluck. I do. I do. You know, you get to sitting around talking and visiting. That's kind of what it's all about. That's why we call them a fellowship. Everybody's eating. and you're kind of, Everybody's kind of watching the kids, but kind of not. And all of a sudden, you'll hear one of them howl, and you don't have to wonder long who it belongs to because mom and dad are popping up and, and going out just like that. Just like that, they know where they are. Kid can sit around saying, Dad, 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 and you can say it a hundred times, and what? what? You know, never get much fun. But all of a sudden, they have that tone in their voice, Dad! And you're up and gone. You hear it in a voice. You know they're in trouble. They can't fake that. You recognize it immediately. The Bible talks about how we cry out of a father. It's talking about that kind of cry. The cry that tells God that we need His help. The cry that tells God we're in trouble. And our life then gets to live out in this matter. We, we can try. Trying is the work of the flesh. But crying. Crying out to God. Now that is the activity of the Spirit. I want you to know our, our Father God knows our voice. And when we cry out to him, he's not upset with us. He's not angry at us any more than we're angry at our kids when they're in trouble. We just minister to their needs and he ministers to ours. All of our life then as believers, we have this option to us. We can, we can try to do this in the flesh by our own power and our own strength. Or we can cry out to God saying, God, I can't do this. I need your help. And there the Spirit is right inside of us. Giving life to our mortal bodies. So that what we could never do on our own, what we could never do in the power of the flesh, which is please God, we can do in the power of the Spirit. God gave us a marvelous example of this in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus chapter 4 in the call of Moses. You'll remember that Moses spent 40 years of his life in the palace in Egypt, being groomed as a part of the royal family. And when he thought then that he could deliver the children of Israel from bondage, they didn't listen to him. So we could understand when God speaks to him and, and calls him and sends him back to go there. He could say, Lord, why are they going to listen to me? They didn't listen to me before. But what Moses didn't know, that 40 years of living in the palace had not prepared Moses to be the leader of God's people, but 40 years of sun and sand and solitude and sheep <laughs> had got him ready. But now that qualification of who he was and what he had learned and what he had, what is that in your hand, God asked him. What are you bringing to the table here, Moses? That's yeah, my shepherd's staff. It's a rod. God said, throw it down. 
And, of course, he threw it down. You know the story. What happened? It became a snake. You see, there was a snake in that stick that Moses didn't know was in there. So often in our life, you see, it's not our, it's not our weaknesses that trip us up. It's our strengths and our talents, our abilities. We are resourceful people. And Moses needed to learn that he couldn't depend on even what he had learned as a shepherd. Even that had to be surrendered to God. But when he, he cast that down and, and then he took it up by the, the, the tail, not by the head. And I hope God got that on video. I, I just want to see what the look on Moses' face when he's grabbing that serpent by the tail. When he grabbed it by, by the tail, it, it became a rod again. But now it's not Moses' rod anymore. Now it's called the rod of God. And you know what? Every time, every time that stick touched something from then on, it, a miracle happened. Things were different. You and I need to learn how to throw down our talents, our abilities. Every singer, every teacher, every preacher, every musician, every Christian in our Christian law, we need to cast down our gifts and abilities so that God can return them to us to be used only for His glory and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. When we rely on the flesh, we get only what the flesh can do. But there's the potential of a lot of fleshly things that we don't want to turn loose. So after breezing around this morning, and I don't know what else to call it. I mean, I know this isn't the formal kind of three points in a poem type of sermon. It, we started out in Galatians chapter 5, and, and we breezed around in Romans chapter 8 for a while to see that extended discussion of what it means to walk in the Spirit as opposed to walking in the flesh. But... I want us to go back to our text now in Galatians chapter 5. And no, I'm not going to preach for 30 more minutes. I just uh, uh, want to wrap it up a little bit. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. It's a great passage. Got several remarks I want to make about this before we go. First of all, I want to remember that this is a battle that never goes away. Every step that we take in our spiritual journey is a step that will either be made in the flesh or in the spirit. I think that's why God chose walking as the example. Every step we take will be either made in the flesh or in the spirit. If we choose the flesh and we try to walk in the flesh, it is inevitable that we will unleash the things that the flesh is inclined to do. We'll look at that sin that rises up in our life somehow out of nowhere. Maybe that one that comes back over and over and over again. We say, well, that's my problem. But sin is no more the problem than fever is the problem when we're sick. You say, we, we got a fever. What's wrong with you? Well, I got a fever. No, that, that's not what's wrong with you. <laughs> Something is making you have a fever. That's what's wrong with you. Fever is just a symptom. And when sin shows up in your life and mine as a believer in Jesus Christ, sin is not the problem. Sin is a symptom. 
And a lot of times the symptom is, is because we've turned away from walking in the Spirit and doing the things that the Spirit encourages us and tells us to do. We've turned away from what the Bible says, turned away maybe from church, turned away from God and the things of God, maybe turned away from God's people. We're saying, I can do it on my own. No, you can't. You've made a fleshly decision, and you've got then what the flesh can do. You may look at these things and say, well, God has tested me. Remember, God tests us at our strengths. The flesh and the devil test us at our weakness. We saw that with Job, with Abraham, with Simon Peter. It was their strength that God put to the test so that they could see that as long as they were walking in their strength, they were going to fail. But the flesh concentrates on our areas of weakness. It's why that every great time of spiritual experience can be followed with a time of fleshly defeat. It's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. Remember, falling into the flesh is always only a step away. But remember that we have the armor of God. And though I, I didn't bring up that passage in Ephesians, I, I think most of you uh, are familiar enough with it. We, we thought that the armor of God was mainly for the enemy that's above us and for the enemy that's around us. And it is. But it is also true that it serves to keep the enemy within <laughs> where it's supposed to be, which is within. You see, the flesh has the opportunity of getting out and wrecking havoc in our life and the lives of everybody around us. You don't want to turn that loose on your world. It's going to do a lot of damage before it's done. And so there are countless times then that we need the armor of God to keep the enemy locked up inside, the enemy within, the flesh, so that it isn't turned loose. You see, we don't just have a mind, a brain, eyes, ears, a mouth. Thank God we've got the helmet of salvation. Isn't that great? So that our mind just doesn't have to run loose. Our eyes don't have to just run loose. Our ears and our mouth don't have to run loose. We've got the helmet of salvation. We don't have a free hand. Because in one hand we've got the shield of faith. In the other hand we've got the sword of the Spirit. Not turning my hands loose to get into things they shouldn't be getting into. No, we've got the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. We don't have just a heart full of desires and longings and passions because we have the breastplate of righteousness keeping that back. We don't just have the loins. We have on them the, the girdle of truth. We need the armor of God, not just for the enemy above us and the enemy around us, but the enemy within the flesh. Remember also as we're learning to walk, <laughs> you'll never hear parents say, baby fell six times today. We don't count falls, we count steps. Baby fell, took five steps today. Aren't you glad our Father God doesn't count falls? He counts steps. Walk in the Spirit. How do you do that? One 
step at a time. One step at a time. There's no doubt that occasionally we're going to take a step in the flesh and we're going to fall. That, that just happens. It may not be falling into some terrible sin that we would call a terrible sin. But look, there was a long, long list of things. <laughs> but remember, gossip was on that list. And thinking bad thoughts was on that list. And a lot of other things we might not think of all that bad. But they're there. We count steps, though, but not falls. Remember that the armor of God winds up with this instruction. And having done all, to what? Stand. To stand. You may think, well, I'm, I'm not making a lot of progress in my spiritual life right now. I'm not, not getting a lot done. That's all right. If you've fallen down, standing is something. And God counts stands just like He counts steps because that's what He tells us to do, having done all to stand. Sometimes you might not make a lot of progress against the enemy that you're encountering. Sometimes you might feel like a target uh, for the wicked one because you are. Sometimes it might feel like everybody in your circle of friends is trying to get you to go in the wrong direction because they are. It might seem to you like somebody is getting on my very last nerve and jumping up and down on it and I'm about to lose my religion. If they don't leave me alone, we feel that way sometimes because that's the life that we live. What I'm telling you is some days we might not do a lot of walking. Some days we might just make a stand. But you know what? God knows what we're up against. Having done all to stand. One more thing to remember then. I know I've thrown a lot of things at you here to the end to remember, but remember this one too. The flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh so that you cannot do what you would. And in practical ways, what that means for us today is that there are all kinds of things in your life and in my life, spiritual things, godly things that you want to do, but your flesh holds you back. You remember when Jesus asked the disciples to pray with him? Could you not pray with me an hour? Remember? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is constantly hindering the work of the Spirit so that you can't do the things spiritually that you want to do. That is true. That is part of the life you live. But while that is true, the Spirit is also working against the flesh, which means that the flesh doesn't get to do all that it wants to do either. And that's a really good thing. Because the armor of God, you see, is holding that inside, keeping it back. So that those bad feelings and bad thoughts and bad deeds, they, they don't get out. If you're a believer in Christ, then you're living out the tension of this passage. It's going on all the time. If we're not careful, we'll convince ourselves that we're a complete failure. Well, all I can do is cry out to God all the time. Aren't you glad that's exactly what God told us to do in this passage? God put the Spirit in our hearts. Doing what? Crying out. Help me. 
God, I'm in a mess. God knows we're in a mess. Help me, God. I need your help. And just like that, he's there. And the Spirit of God goes into work, goes into action, working in your life and mine. God doesn't, it's not a bad thing when we're crying out to God, that's a good thing. So this morning we look in this great passage and we think about the contrast, the tension in this passage. Walk in the Spirit, the Bible says, and you shall not fulfill the lust in the flesh. For the lust, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against the flesh, and you cannot do the things that you want to do. You're going to live out the reality of that as a believer in Christ until God calls you home. In this robe of flesh, you drop and rise and seize the everlasting prize. Then and only then will this battle be over problem is is that a lot of times people give up they quit fighting the bible or quit fighting the battle turn away from what they know to be true go in the wrong direction and that can be catastrophic usually is but i want you to know this morning that god is in the prodigal calling business have you wandered far from him He's not through with you. It doesn't matter whether you're in this building or at home watching. It's the same truth either way. God isn't through with you. He's calling out to you by the power of the word of God and the power of the spirit. And what he wants you to do is remember the joy that you had in the father's house. He's still your father. Maybe there are those who just don't know about your spiritual relationship. You don't know. Don't have a relationship with God. Never receive Christ as your Savior. I want you to know today that Jesus Christ died on the cross, not for his sins, but for yours. He was buried and he rose again the third day so that he could give out the invitation, whosoever believeth on me should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus won the victory over death and the grave so he could give you that promise that you don't have to live under the power of sin and of death. Because he gives you everlasting life through Jesus Christ. It's there for the claiming. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Maybe this morning some of you have been a believer. But if you ever followed the Lord in baptism. Maybe you're looking for a church home. I don't know what's on your heart. But you do and God does. Maybe today is your day to make that decision. That God's been leading you to make. Whatever's on your heart. As we stand together.